It's Paul's Picks with Paul Carrier. I'm David Schellenberg. Hello, Paul. Hello, Dave. What's on your mind this time? Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, everybody loves Cabernet Sauvignon, and there are so many people who like just insist on it. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, we're going to do the sort of introductory Cabernet Sauvignon talk today. Okay, I think a lot of people need this talking <laughs> <Okay>. to. <laughs> For the simple reason, um, Cab Sauve is, there's a lot I mean, a lot to talk about with Cabernet Sauvignon. But we're going to go through just the basic stuff. Um, growing regions, yeah. uh, where it's popular, where people kind of tend towards drinking. Does climate matter? <laughs> well, and it is amazing because it, it's a, it says Cabernet Sauvignon on the bottle, but yet it tastes so different when you actually open them up. So we've got three Cab Sauves and two cheeses. Mm. Uh, what are the cheeses we've got here? So these are two cheeses that I um, personal favorites of mine. Yep. The Gran Padano, which is from uh, Emilia Romagna in Italy, right? Northern part of Italy, and uh, Parmigiano Reggiano, which is also from the northern part of Italy, also from the same region, uh, and they're both uh, dairy cheeses. Yep. Um, and they're just fantastic. They're they're sort of in the qualifications of hard cheeses, right? Hard rindy cheeses, yeah. Uh, that I think personally pair beautifully with um, any type of Cabernet Sauvignon that you're drinking. We're going to try them, so we'll see anyway. All right, let's go. Here, okay. here we go. Here we go. All right, where do we start? Okay, so Dave wants to have something to drink. So. Yes, there's nothing worse than a, a pairing where they make you sit and listen to a lecture before you have a sip. So <laughs> so we're going to get right into the drinking here. Yeah. Um, so wine number one is the Fortin de France. Right. Uh, and this one is called Altitude. Okay. Now this this particular wine, uh, first of all, from the price point. Okay, I just yeah. I just like to mention this. I know we don't really we we're not really heavy on that, but at fourteen dollars and ninety five cents a bottle. <laughs> It's not something you shouldn't have a case of kicking around your house. <laughs> like it really is worthwhile. Uh, it's a hidden gem. Yeah, yeah. In, in my opinion, now. Well, part of the problem with prices is different in different places. So, so we're in Ontario. It's fifteen yeah. bucks a oh, bottle yeah. in Ontario, and yeah. and like that's a good price. Yeah, it might be like. Five dollars in the states if you're listening yeah. in the states. But anyway, well, in Manitoba where I grew up, it'll be twenty two dollars. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a good. Anyway, it's 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 a fantastic ball. Fortin de France is the producer. Yeah. It comes from an area in the southern part of France, uh, which is actually a, 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 they're lucky because it's a fantastic growing area out there. Um, this particular wine on the nose. When you're smelling it, it has a very, it's a very subtle Cabernet Sauvignon in the sense that it has definitely a lot of sort of the black cherry, blueberry, Mm. but there's also, it's not overpowering as far as uh, the vanilla or tobacco that you would get from other styles of Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a lot more subtle. Right. I even find that this one has a, a tendency to be, even has a little bit of sort of a, a winter green kind of <laughs> aroma to it or minty aroma to it. Yep. The palate, uh, unlike a little bit of a lot of the other cabs, I should say, it has medium bodied. It's not a heavy wine. Um. Heavier, I know what you mean. It's it's like the medium rare. It's yeah, it's like the, me- <laughs> the medium rare of wines is yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the finish is very well balanced. It's not too yes. tannic, and I, I I don't believe it would be a wine that would 
cellar for very many years. It's not that style. It's something yep. that you could put in your cellar for two to three years. Right. Um, Drinking it now is not a bad thing. Yeah. There, there's I, yeah, a, a lingering yeah. warmth on this one as oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, pairing it with the cheese. Yeah. Uh, first of all, this type style of wine for me uh, it works very well with just about any type of grilled meats, including mm. chicken, mm-hmm. oh. which we tried. We did. So, uh, grilled chicken, as long as the chicken has a certain seasoning to it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, we had it sort of buffalo style and it was fantastic. It worked really, really, really well. I was very impressed with it. Like a, a saltier chicken, yeah. a deep fried chicken, that sort of a thing. And the cheese, it works great because the cheese, uh, because of the acidity and moisture in the cheese, it softened out the wine, made it a lot more palatable, I found. It took, it took a sort of that acidic edge off of it. I found the Reggiano. Yeah. No, how do you say it? Reggiano. Yeah. Reggiano yeah. killed it. Overpowered when, it. Yes. Yeah, when yeah, I go back to the wine it. now, I yeah. it's like, oh, there was nothing there. It <laughs> it it went from that kind of a long, warm, uh, lovely finish to uh, short in its tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It can. Ha- yeah. It can. Ha- but this is what we're doing with different cab soaps. So. Absolutely. And uh, now, getting back to cab, sort of. Let's start from the, the again the beginning. Yeah. It's qualified or classified, I should say, as the king of grapes. Mm. All right. And Chardonnay, the queen. (laughs) Okay. Now, Cabernet Sauvignon, first of all, is grown all over the world. All right. So there are certain grape varieties that are very climate friendly, and there are a lot that are not this Cabernet Sauvignon grape is very climate friendly. So, here in Canada, yeah, okay, in where we live, which is Ontario, which is notoriously cold <laughs> in the yes, winter time, yes. and our growing season is not that that long for our people down in Niagara, which is where the majority of where our grapes and wines are produced, and they do produce Cabernet Sauvignon. Yep. A cooler climate for a Cabernet Sauvignon usually gives you a cab that's a little bit lighter, a little right. bit thinner. Shorter growing season. Shorter so growing season. Fewer, uh, less amount of time on the vine before you just got to go around and, and harvest. Absolutely. And with a cooler climate like we have, you're running the risk that by the time they start to harvest, it's getting too cold right. and you might lose a lot. So you got to be careful there. Now, that's, that's one thing to know about uh, the cab. Now, the other thing too is that it's a grape that is known to have a very, very thick skin. Now, when you have a thick skin, that's where the majority of a phenolic compound called tannin comes from. Now, that's a natural preservative. We hear this word a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's a buzzword. Like minerality, for example, in in white wines or even in reds. You hear that often talked about. Right. Um, But this... this, uh, Tannin is extracted by the the skins being in contact with the fermenting juice. Ah. Okay. So the longer that the skins are in contact with the juice, consequently, the longer the the wine will age in good growing season. Right. So uh, now here here's the kind of the fun part about it. Yeah. The winemaker knowing that can either extend the amount of time that he's going he or she they 
are going to have the skin in contact with the wine to yeah. make a wine that you can sell her or uh-huh. shorter amount of time, less tannin, drinkable now. Okay. Right? Okay. And then when you find sort of the the middle part, like this, for like example. This one is. Mm, drink now. Yeah. Sell her two, three years. Right. 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 Boom. That's uh, it. And, and it was interesting as you were talking, I tried this wine with the Padano cheese. Mm-hmm. Completely different experience. Lighter style than the Parmigiano Reggiano. Yeah, and and really uh, embraced the flavor of the wine, extended it. Now, you said this particular wine is from southern France. Mm-hmm. So the growing region of southern France is what? So there you're looking at, believe it or not, uh, they still have soil compounds that can be traced back to the Jurassic period. Yeah. Okay, which means that a lot of the soil that's in that area believe it or not, was actually formed by glaciers that bored through those wine-growing regions. Okay. And what it left in a lot of areas, especially in the Vendipi Duck, where this particular wine comes from. So that's the name of one of the regions? Yeah. So what are some of the other regions in southern France? So you would be looking at things like the Rhone yeah. Valley. You'd be looking at Languedoc-Roussillon. You'd be looking at, uh, of course, well, the Rhone would encompass places like Chateauneuf-du-Pape, right. as an example, and areas like that, uh, Cornas, saint Pierre, all these places. In these areas, believe it or not, a lot of the soil is actually crushed uh, clam. Okay, so <laughs> right. that it, it's a calcaish, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, or maybe not, um, but it's basically a crushed seashell ah. in a lot. So it gives it the wines as sort of an, it's an impoverished type of soil, which Cabernet Sauvignon, believe it or not, likes. Yes. It really does. It, it thrives, actually. The the more uh, the, the cab vines have to dig down to find the nutrients and the water to mm-hmm. survive, the better tasting and the the the, the hardier the grapes are actually mm. going to become, mm-hmm. which is the case with this this particular growing region. In fact, it's it's fascinating to go there because some of the vines, believe it or not, they're still producing fruit after a hundred years. Right now, very little fruit can be collected from these vines, and the, you should see these things. It, it, they look like tree trunks, and they're all <laughs> knotted. They can't they can't even trellis them anymore. Right, they're just knotted amongst themselves, and then the grapes just kind of hang there, and yeah, yeah. and, and, and you, they have to hand pick everything. They can't bring machinery in there to to shake the vines to drop the grapes because it's too sort of scattered. Yeah, right. And the other thing that they have going for them, in it, when we're talking about that region growing, is that they have the, what they call a mistral wind. Now, mm-hmm. that particular wind is a wind that comes from Siberia, and it comes overnight, and you can get temperature uh, fluctuations of 15 to 20 degrees in one evening, <laughs> and that cools and warms the vines all the time, so it's a perfect balance for growing, right. because that soil I was talking to you about, very gravelly, uh, again, very impoverished. Those rocks retain the hot weather sure. all day long. So even though that mistral wind comes in and aerates the vines, which helps prevent disease, 
the heat is then released naturally back into the vine, so it keeps the vine nice and cozy and warm, right. even though everything else is really chilly around there. <laughs> it's right? amazing, yeah. Which yeah. is which is why these grapes are grown in in this exact spot, absolutely in the world. Now, earlier you mentioned in, in southern France, in Rhone Valley, Chateau de Pop, like those are wines that are way more money than this one is. Oh yeah. So uh, it's interesting to be in one region of France, which is not that large, but yet the difference in value for the bottles that come out of it. So, and, and I want something I just wanted to clarify because we were just talking in that area of France, you know, those are some of the regions. Um, the Côte de Rhone or the Rhone wines aren't really known so much for Cabernet Sauvignon. Some, some of it's grown uh, okay, there. Okay, fair, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, but mostly, like when we're talking Chateau neuf du Pape and those styles of mm-hmm. wine, um, it's actually like Syrah mm. and Grenache would be their top wines. But there is Cab Grown. The area we're drinking from is is the most southerly part. Okay. Okay. It's it's right down the French Riviera. Oh, beautiful. Okay. So we're right, right in that absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous area. Like what a place to be growing <laughs> wines. My God. All right. So that's the first Cab Sauvignon. Yep. What's the second one we're so trying? So number two, we're going to go with um, uh, another wine region that I think... You can find phenomenal value yep. and consistent vintages is in Argentina. Okay, completely different part of the world. Okay, so we're going to try this wine. Yep. And we're going to see what the differences are. So, what's this one called? This one is called La Mascata. Mm-hmm. Okay, from Argentina. And this one here. Oh, my. Yeah. And admittedly, uh, it's been sitting open yep. for a little bit because we've had some other projects on the go today. Uh, and it tastes very different from when we first poured it a little mm. while ago. When we first poured it, there was a, almost a bitterness to this mm-hmm. wine, I found. But as it has sat here, it's really become much more luscious. So this wine here um, on the nose, to me... It's, uh, I don't know if you remember, there used to be uh, cherry blossom, which was uh, uh, a little fruit thing, fruit and wrapped in chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it had sort of a chocolate or a a syrup, a sort of cherry syrup inside. Yeah. And the chocolate nougat on the outside. And the nose to that is very reminiscent of that. On the palate, I, I found it fuller than wine yeah, number very one. Much. Very, you know, it, it had a lot to me. Had a lot more weight. Um, the perception of tannin, which we we discussed in the wine, what that does to you is uh, it gives you a, a mouth puckering sensation, a dryness, if you will, on the palate, and that this is much more evident in this wine. So when you get that a wine like this, when you get that. Uh, sensation, that taste sensation, that's not that there's anything wrong with the wine. That's just the wine telling you I'm a little young. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so give me a little chance. Right. You got two options. You go ahead and drink it and like it for what it is. Okay, there's one option. Or option two, you can cellar it. Right. Okay. Now, Paul's secret or hint when you're doing a wine and food pairing to calm this down, which we did, um, if you have medium rare steak, mm. okay, mm-hmm. a, a rare cut of beef will soften this wine automatically. Okay, lamb yeah. is a perfect example with this style. 
Right. And again, there's nothing wrong with this wine, but I guarantee you, if we revisited this wine, even in three years, we would be tasting something completely different. It would be completely, completely different. Well, and the cheese that I said earlier didn't go at all with that wine number one. goes yeah. beautifully with wine number two. The tannin factor. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's part of what this experiment's all about, is seeing the progression of bigger wines as we move up the scale. Uh, this one here, I would say, would qualify sort of a more of a medium, medium to full-bodied style Cabernet Sauvignon. Right. I think this is more the style that people are kind of um, looking for for their sellers right. in, in a lot of cases, okay? Um, it's, it's a grown, we'll just talk quickly about where it's growing, and that's in Argentina. And... The advantage, first of all, Argentina, uh, just for people that may or may not know this, during the 1800s, France was absolutely bombarded by a disease called phylloxera. And that phylloxera... We know what it feels like to be bombarded by a disease, yeah. Oh, God, yes, do we ever. (laughs) Um, And the phylloxera bug would infest and it, it did infest vineyards from the north to the south to the east to the west especially hard in France yeah. to the point that people at that era in that era um, they didn't have a solution of how to control it normally you could use certain bug sprays or insecticides well, that wasn't really available at that time mm-hmm. and what this bug would do quite simply would be it would bore its way into the vine to get to the nutrients and cut off the vine's supply so that the the vine couldn't get the nutrients up into the grapes because it would kill it at the rootstock. Oh, geez. And everything nasty. would just die and quick. Yeah. So what a lot of producers at that in that era, so we're talking the 1800s here, um, what they did was they uprooted their, their healthy plants and they brought them over to Chile and Argentina and planted them there to oh, save wow. them. Oh, wow. Okay. To save. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the winemaking, even though Argentina and Chile really didn't hit the market until I would say, I'd say the 80s-ish, 80s, yeah. 90s, and then 2000, they came on real strong. Right. Um, they've been around for way, way, way longer than that. And when we talk about the actual grape, the Cabernet Sauvignon grape, mm-hmm. it is literally the exact same grape mm-hmm. as France is growing, just yep. in a completely different part of the world. Now, obviously, over time, producers have bought rootstock from other areas okay. in the world. Things but, change, yeah. Yeah, things change. But fundamentally, the majority were, were produced with or at least the more quality producers, mm-hmm. the, the the vineyards were uprooted and French winemakers were buying properties to, and at, at the beginning, they were doing it just to save their vines. Mm-hmm. But what happened? They quickly realized that Argentina was an absolute paradise for growing wine because they have the Andes Mountains, which this particular wine is grown right at the foot of the Andes Mountains and right next to the Mendoza River. Right. It's basically sheltered from anything that would harm it. 
to, uh, you know, massive fluctuations in temperatures, uh, the benefit of having water supplies that are close. So you got good soil for the, for the, the vines to grow in. Then you've got the cool nights because mm-hmm. of Andes and the, the proximity to the river. But then during the day, it's nice and warm. It's, 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 it's absolute paradise to grow grapes. These people hardly ever have a bad vintage. Wow. Okay. So, so that's why there's to think about. That's why there's so many Argentinian wines. And if we want to, then again, this is what we're talking cab. When the cab boom started, which would have been about the seventies and eighties when it first started, mostly in North America, um, the cost of growing out there is probably, I'm going to guesstimate, is probably whew, 80, 90% cheaper than California or Bordeaux or any of the other main areas. Well, yes, the French yeah. Riviera. I would think it's an expensive place to grow for a farmer. Yeah, and the only reason, the first one we tried, the only reason you can get it at $14.95 is Fortin de France is one of the biggest producers in all of France. Right. So they own tons and tons of land. They can offer to you a wine at fourteen ninety five. You drive down the street, not far from where their their main areas are, right. and I guarantee you, or drive an hour in any direction and go to a boutique winery, you're going to be upwards of $100 a bottle in some cases. Wow. Because it's a small area that they're producing in. And isn't there something about the uh, latitude? So when we look at where France is compared to the equator, and we look at where Argentina is, and ultimately where California is, they're similar. Yeah, they all fall within that sort of same... If you look at a map where they're all stretched out on the same map, not yeah. on the globe, not in a circle, on no, no. like on the same map, they're basically the latitude and longitude, the growing area. Everybody fits within that parameter. Right. Now I can't remember specifically what that is right off the top of my head at this moment, but <laughs> if you look at it, that's what Google's for. Yeah, that's what Google's for, and any any wine book. Um, but everybody falls within that. That 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 region or that growing band, if yeah, you, know, yeah. you want to call it that. So with this wine, like I said, I think it's it's a phenomenal. It's well priced, uh, and Argentina for people who like Cabernet Sauvignon, I I strongly recommend that. Maybe you should start looking in that area for wines to cellar, mm-hmm. to wines to put away, and at not a very not very much of an initial startup cost. Which takes us to the third wine we've yeah. got, another Cabernet Sauvignon for <sighs> yet another part of the world. Yeah, uh, and some, somehow I believe this is going to taste different than the last two. Um, being a wine person. I don't like calling myself a sommelier, even though I am. I, I just don't like the word. I, yeah. it's, I just not, it's, too, it's hard to spell. Yeah, and say, especially after I've had a bottle of wine. <laughs> um, but after all these years and trying all these wines, as much as, and this is something, if, you, if you're striving to become someone who wants to be into the wine business, the first thing I'm going to recommend for anybody out there, you, you have to be very neutral. You have to accept everything for what it is. You can't be overly judgmental or focus entirely 
on one area of the world where you say this area does no wrong. If you're going to be an expert, you got to be open to all styles. But having said that, yep. uh, you, you're allowed to have preferences. Okay. Uh, Bordeaux for me is a big preference, and California is definitely a big, uh, big, 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 big uh, preference for me. This cab is something else. So Cabernet Sauvignon in California, and is this similar to Argentina in that it's same grapes, same kind of band around the world, just in a different country? Yeah, no, it's it's different. Oh, is it? oh yeah. <laughs> it's really their style is. Um, I, I'd say Argentina leans a little bit more to a very classic textbook style Cabernet Sauvignon, so a restrained amount of oak use in most cases. A lot of French oak is used, which French oak for Cabernet Sauvignon, it's not as porous, so it's not going to absorb so much of the wood content. Um, American oak, however, mm-hmm. is completely the opposite. It has a massive effect on the wines. And a lot of the American producers, not all of them, but a lot of them like to use bigger style oak. Mm-hmm. So on the nose with this one? Jammy uh, fruit, like right. big, big time. Um, yeah, you just shove your nose in that, and it's a completely it's, different experience than the other ones we've been trying. It's like, It's like... Like warm raspberry pie with vanilla ice cream on it, and yeah. my goodness gracious, it's just. Yeah. I oh. do, and, and I fully admit with with what you're saying, if you can't have preferences, and I I do like the big California mm. reds. There's mm. there's a, a a warmth to them, as opposed to the sort of the dirt that I get with the mm. the mm-hmm. the ones from France. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. like a hundred percent, like, and that, and again. This is why I strongly recommend for you that the people that are listening, try this experiment at home for no other reason than just to go through what we're going through so that you can see yourself, not just us talking about it, but when you actually go through this exercise, you're like, they're, I know, maybe I'm not getting all the terminology that they're talking about, but I can definitely see some differences from one wine to another. Now, California is a quagmire, okay? Um, <laughs> Because um, even though the French don't admit it outwardly and a lot of the American producers don't admit it outwardly, um, the Americans were lucky in the sense that they got to piggyback all the experimentation that the French did with Cabernet Sauvignon as far as where's the best type of soil, where's the best type of climate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and sort of piggyback that and then put their own flair on it in California. Because California for, for cab is ideal. Very long growing season. Warm. Yeah. Warm during the day. Cool at night. Um, they've got a lot of rivers and ocean yeah. that, that, that they, can, they can play off of. Um, Depending, of course, obviously where the vineyards located. Well, yeah, because California is a huge, oh my God. huge People state. Don't realize it, and and the difference between yeah. um, you know the heat of Los Angeles, but then you go up to San Francisco and like yep. a, a summer day in San Francisco, you're wearing a coat or a <laughs> yeah, 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 you're not wearing shorts and flip flops. No, yeah. no, and and people, I think. Um, and I think part of that is probably just by watching TV. They sort of make it look all clumped together where like just driving from Sonoma to Napa. Yeah. 
Man, oh man. It's ours. And and mountains. Then all of a sudden there's valleys. Then all of a sudden there's rivers <laughs> everywhere. And it's like, okay. Um all right. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and know? and the last time I drove that, endless John Deere dealerships. Oh, lots of lots of tractors and then stuff like that. A lot of farm equipment. Oh yeah. There. So so much food yeah. comes out of California. Oh, it's it's remarkable. I don't again, I don't think until you've done it, and I mean I did it once where I went actually from Portland, Oregon. And then I went right down yeah. the coast, and uh, it's scenic. It's beautiful. It's 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 an amazing place to visit. It really is. I mean, if you're looking for the, you know, the Las Vegas of wine places in the world, <laughs> that's definitely in Napa and Sonoma and and uh, you know in these areas. And um, anyway, so getting back to the wines, so. The Cabernet Sauvignon here, traditionally the Cab Sauvignons that are coming out of, of California, mm-hmm. and I don't like pigeonholing them because people get pernickety about that kind of stuff, but having said that, if you look at a bunch of them, they're fuller style. They're jammier. They're they're higher in alcohol. A lot of them have more oak, more vanilla. This one here, to me, is a full-bodied cab. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's on the palate. I mean... Mm-hmm. Mm. When you try it, the no, I notice the alcohol right off the bat. Yeah, I can feel it. It's warming, right? Like you were mentioning, um, it's full bodied. It's the type of wine that you're going to get a multitude of red and black fruit in it for sure. Yeah. You're going to get sweetness, so candied fruit as well. You're also going to get because I'm also getting sort of Kirsch liqueur, which is a cherry liqueur. Oh. I, I, I get that very much on the finish of this wine. Yeah. And there's a very nice, warming, sweet finish to this wine that lingers for quite some time. Now, not only would I pair this, I, I, I'm looking at, a, first of all, I would drink this with a multitude of things, including, believe it or not, things like lasagna. Right. I'm okay with this, with lasagna, spaghetti and meatballs. I'm okay with this, yeah, with yeah. that. Yeah. I'm okay with this with lamb. I'm okay with this with steak. But I like to take it one step further. If I'm going to have a steak, for example, with this particular Raymond wine from California, fantastic, fantastic wine. Uh, and again, right around the twenty-ish dollar range, our price here in Canada. I don't even know why I mentioned it. <laughs> no, I think that's our price. Just you and me. It's yeah. like yeah, twenty bucks is you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be. I would love, and I I, have, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to. Is I'd love to marinate a steak in port. Oh. And have that extra little sweetness with a bit just salt and pepper and marinated in, in port right. overnight. Yeah. Give it a good 12 hours at least. And with this wine, with just seasonal vegetables, nothing fancy, let the meat and the steak, let them let them do the talking. That's all <laughs> you're going to have to do with this type of, of wine. Because uh, tannins and... Meat, yeah. When they meet, what happens? It softens the wine. It it, it neutralizes the mouth drawing, uh, drying feel of the tannin on your palate. Mm-hmm. So it smooths out the wine. It, it, essentially, I remember having a professor one time explain it as if the 
tan or the, the 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 nutrients that are in the meat, especially the rarer the better, almost accelerate the aging of the wine in your mouth. Uh, in yeah, your that's, mouth. that's in real time. Yeah, in real time. Yeah. yeah, that's that's how he explained it. And and you know what? To me, that make it. And I still think about that now. It makes a lot of sense because that's you true. It out. So cabbages, remember. Uh, they can grow it everywhere, yeah. everywhere in the world, from Lebanon to Ontario, South Africa, Australia, you name it. They're going to grow cab everywhere, but keep in, keep in mind, it's going to taste different from every area of the world that you try this one. There is some uh, great advice right there on a Cabernet Sauvignon from Paul Carrier. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you.